Hi, and welcome to For Real Life. I'm Jochem Hill. This podcast is intended to use biblical truth for real-life issues. The Bible talks about many of life's questions, struggles, hopes, and fears. It's a book that was written many years ago, but is definitely applicable to the here and now. It's not just stories and theories, it's for real life. We are now in our third and final uh, class, I guess, of the series uh, into proving the existence of God. Um, and we've looked at science, we've looked at archaeology, and today uh, Caleb is with me again. We're going to look at prophecy. Uh, Caleb, thanks again for joining me. Hey, Joachim. Nice to be here. The final, like I said, the final topic that you've looked into, uh, besides science and archaeology, that helps to give you some evidence uh, into the existence of the Creator and, and the God of the Bible specifically, is prophecy. Now, can you briefly uh, explain again what is prophecy and how does that prove to you the existence of God? So it's a very, very broad topic, Joachim, but simply put, I think if we can try to distill it down to a few words, prophecy is uh, God, the part of God's word that indicates things that are about to happen. Essentially, the, the events, the sequence of events that lend credence or evidence that God is in control, that God has a plan and purpose, and that things will unfold, events will unfold as he intends them to. Um, so when I look at prophecy, there's some really key books of the Bible that have uh, information about what was about to happen, both in the ancient times when the, the readers themselves and the writers themselves uh, that recorded those things, so you know, a couple thousand years ago, uh, right up to today. And so when you look at the book of Daniel as an example, or the book of Isaiah, there's various prophecies that actually impacted the lifetime of the writer. So in Daniel's day, there was the overthrow of the Babylonian kingdom of the Babylonian empire by the Medes and Persians. Well, that happened right in front of his eyes. That's an example of prophecy of things that were going to happen in line with the plan and purpose of God. And the Bible talks not only about prophecy or, or events that have happened in the past. Uh, there's prophecy that talks about events and the plan and purpose of God right now, like as, as, as you and I talk, uh, Yelkham, but also events that will happen future to this point, this particular juncture as, as we discuss. So it's, it's really about God's word giving us evidence or signposts or things to look for that show that his plan and purpose is actually coming to fruition, that things are not just random chaotic events, but in fact are part of a plan and purpose that has an end, that has a, has a specific outcome that, that God intends. So prophecy is the signpost, it's the indication, it's the information that we can read about that helps us to understand that this plan and purpose is actually coming, uh, coming to fruition. Yeah, and I think God didn't just, uh, so God would have given this uh, information to an individual, whether through an angel or through a vision, but he didn't necessarily do that to everyone. He, uh, not everyone would, would be a prophet, right? God chose yep. specific people. I think you mentioned uh, Daniel, uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and lots of, lots of prophets who spoke on behalf of God. And where there's a specific test that God had put in place, and you alluded to this already, where God said, 
a, if, if there's a prophet, you can rely on him. You can know that what he is saying is true. If he gives you a short-term prophecy that comes true, a very specific one, then that means you can trust his long-term prophecy. And yeah. I think that's what you talked about, about Daniel, where he did exactly that. He gave a short-term prophecy that uh, we know was fulfilled in front of their eyes. And therefore, we have that reliance that that long-term prophecy that is still to come or has been happening for us is also reliable. Yeah, you make a great point there, Joachim, that, that prophets really are speaking God's word. And the test is to see if the things that they say actually come to pass. That, that's exactly it. So when we read the Bible, we read the book of Daniel. Okay, it's written about Daniel, by Daniel, and it records the things that uh, happened in Daniel's life. But it also records very specifically God's word and what God intended to have happen. So that's the key. Um, and, and it's the key for us to take the time and have the curiosity to explore what's written down because a lot of the things that are there in, in scripture give us an indication of what God intends to have happen. And we can look at those pieces of prophecy or sections of the Bible and say, is there evidence that what is written down here has actually happened? And that's actually the most fascinating thing for me in terms of prophecy is prophecies concerning the Jews. And that's the thing that really sticks out to me in, in the most clear and obvious way is what has happened with the Jews over the last, let's say, 100 years. So I'm going to read you a little quote. And this is kind of interesting, Yoakam. It actually comes from... Um, Mark Twain. And so I'll read you this quote. Um, and you can you can find this on the internet as well, or, or even if you, you might even have this, uh, this book. And it's, uh, it's a quote from Mark Twain, and it, and it relates to um, the Jews. And it's a quote from Mark Twain saying that all things are mortal, but the Jew. And so let me read this. It'll take a couple of minutes and I'll read through it. It's just kind of an interesting thing that Mark Twain, uh, Mark Twain wrote says this, if statistics are right, the Jews constitute but 1% of the human race. It suggests a nebulous dim puff of stardust lost in the blaze of the Milky Way. Properly, the Jew ought hardly to be heard of, but he is heard of, has always been heard of. He is as prominent on the planet as any other people, and his commercial importance is extravagantly out of proportion to the smallness of his bulk. His contributions to the world's list of great names in literature, science, art, music, finance, medicine, and abstruse learning are also all way out of proportion to the weakness of his numbers. He has made a marvelous fight in this world in all the ages and had done it with his hands tied behind him. He could be vain of himself and be excused for it. The Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose filled the planet with sound and splendor, and then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise and are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was, exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of, an, of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. 
All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? And so that's an interesting quote that uh, I found fascinating by Mark Twain. And so here's what's kind of interesting about this, uh, Joachim. You look at world events right now, and you look at how important the nation of Israel is into global politics. And I'm sure you've got uh, you know, your own thoughts and perspectives on that. But it is remarkable. Like it's really an unremarkable chunk of land. Um, you say you've been there. You've seen it. I never have. But it's really a strange chunk of land for so much conflict to be the, the focus or the root of. It's remarkable. Yeah, it was a joke for a little bit, I think, that uh, you know, the Jews were given the only piece of land in all of the Middle East that does not have any oil. Yeah. And so uh, there's so much wealth in that area, right? Uh, primarily taken from oil because they sell a lot of oil. And Israel seems, I think until recently, it was the only place that did not have any. I think they've discovered gas now in, in the area. Um, yeah, I mean, it, you're right. It, it's, it's a small strip of land. You know, the Dead Sea is there, which I think maybe signifies... Uh, yeah. You know the lack of life in certain uh, certain areas there, but yeah, it's it's been uh, a desolate area for for a long time, and and right now all of a sudden there is this uh, renewed interest that's been there for the past hundred years. Well, what's really fascinating about this is that the Jews and the well the formation of the nation of Israel as we know it now actually was was really foretold in Scripture. And so big part of the Old Testament is, is the history of the Jews as it was uh, as, as they went through various different cycles of life and the kings and their captivity in Egypt and so on. And we know from history, and this is uh, actually it, it occurs outside, I'll say outside the pages of the Bible, but we know from history that the Romans came in and sacked Jerusalem in, in AD 70. And they came in and, and really... Uh, started the diaspora, as it's known, or it's really spreading the Jews throughout the world. They came in and absolutely demolished Jerusalem. And, and you can go through, again, you've been there, you've seen this with your own eyes. You've seen the Western Wall and how the Romans just completely dismantled the temple and, and really the city itself and kicked the Jews out. Certainly ended the Jewish rule over that particular time in around AD 70. So this is a, you know, the tangible, well-recorded historical event. Um, the emperor Titus uh, and his second-in-command Tiberius Julius uh, Alexander came in, sacked the city, um, kicked out the Jews, and really started uh, a, a run of 2,000 years of non-Jewish control, specifically of Jerusalem, but also of the land of Palestine. And you say, okay, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Well, what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, this is where it's interesting. If you turn to Luke chapter 21, and these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is before AD 70. This is significantly before AD 70 by, I'm not sure exactly how many years, but certainly um, a number of years and, and his lifetime before these events happen. And this is what he says. This is kind of interesting. If you go to Luke chapter 21, and we'll jump in at around verse 22, uh, and, and read down to verse 24. It says this, this is Jesus talking. The prophets wrote many things about the time when God will punish his people. The time I am talking about is when all these things must happen. 
During that time, it will be hard for women who are pregnant or have small babies because very bad times will come to this land. God will be angry with these people. And that's he's talking about the Jews. Some of the people will be killed by soldiers. Others will be made prisoners and taken to all different countries. The holy city of Jerusalem will be under the control of foreigners until their time is complete. And if I read in the King James Version, it says this, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive unto all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That time of the Gentiles started in AD 70. This was the time when the Jews no longer had control of Jerusalem. And they'd had control of Jerusalem for a long, long time. It starts really back in the time of Joshua and, and ultimately to the time of David when the, they call it the city of David. Jerusalem was the city of David when David's general Joab goes in and overtakes the city, takes it away from the, from the Jebusites. And they have Jerusalem as their capital for many, many, many years. It was the the focus or the capital city of, of the nation of Israel, of these uh, of, the, of the Jews. And so in AD 70, the Romans come in, and as we've already mentioned, their emperor Titus comes in and they and they smash Israel. They they kick the Jews out and they take them all around the world, all around the Roman Empire, spread the spread the Jewish people out um, really far and wide, but specifically end the control that the Jews had over the city of Jerusalem. So fast forward to 1967. 1967 is, as we know it, and we call it today, the Six-Day War. In the Six-Day War, it was a conflict between uh, a number of Arab states and Israel. And at the time, Israel uh, really did not control they had a, it was the British partition of the land of Palestine. And as you know, you can, you can look it up and again on Wikipedia, I keep mentioning Wikipedia. It seems to be the source of all knowledge these days. But yes. if you go to Wikipedia and you type in the six day war, you see the conflict between Israel and the Arab armies of the day. And what happened in that particular time is that Israel defeated these Arab armies and took Jerusalem, took control of Jerusalem. And so in 1967, and I don't have the exact date in front of me, I think it's in May of 1967, the Israeli armies went through the gates of Jerusalem and took control of the city. So almost 2,000 years after, almost exactly 2,000 years after the Romans came in in AD 70 and, and destroyed Jerusalem and, and kicked the Jews out, 1967 marked the day that this prophecy that you see in Luke 21 verses 22 to 24 came to, came to fruition, came to pass. That the times of the Gentiles, the times of Gentile control over the city of, uh, of Jerusalem came to an end in 1967. Absolutely remarkable. The interesting thing about that war as well was that it was kind of initiated by, Israel was attacked by uh, you know, it was Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, right? They, they all uh, kind of got together and decided to invade Israel. And in turn, what we see is that not Israel was, uh, was conquered, it wasn't destroyed. In fact, as a result of Israel being invaded, their territory was expanded to 
what Jesus had foretold was going to happen. For sure, Joachim. And that's the, I think the most telling thing is that we just looked at one and it's just this prophecy that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is recorded for us in Luke chapter 21. You know, it tells you that there's a consistency and a, and a veracity in the scripture. Why do I say that? Well, there's a whole bunch of prophecies that are recorded for us. And whether or not people, uh, they say they have doubts of the, when the Bible was written and so on and so forth. Well, we know that the Bible was certainly written before 1967. That much we do know. <laughs> we know yes. that. We know that it was, at least the King James Version was written in 1611. So if you say, okay, let's just say that some guy wrote a story in 1611 and put this whole thing together in the King James Version of the Bible. Okay. So then you start to dig in and how on earth did this guy who made this whole thing up in 1611, just let's say hypothetically, how did he know that Israel, the Jews, would be back in control of the land of Palestine, that area, and specifically the city of Jerusalem? How did he know? How did he, is it just a, a random series of events that he got lucky and, and we're just kind of interpreting this? Well, it's pretty clear. This is a very, very specific prophecy, very specific. It is specific about the control of Jerusalem under Jewish control. That's, that's just the words. There's no um, fancy analogy or, or symbolic language. It's just the words that it says. And we saw that in 1967. That's unbelievable. And there are so many other prophecies, Joachim, as you read through your Bible, it's like, yeah, that, that came to pass. That was, that's clear. Like that thing that that prophecy said, it happened. And that to me is a real weight of evidence that, that is just undeniable that this is God's word. The Bible is God's word and that God created this planet and has a plan and purpose for it. Yeah, no, I think... That's a very good point to uh, to kind of end on, right? Because um, in Mark Twain says that Jews are um, they are immortal, um, but the Jews themselves aren't necessarily uh, any more special as a as a people uh, than than you and I, perhaps. Um, but they have a very specific role, and it's not necessarily about who they are it's more so about who god is and and so god has has used them as a nation for the exact thing that we're talking about to, to prove it's like hey i have a plan in this purpose with this world like you said and this is my evidence look at how i've dealt with with the the nation of israel that come to we have come to know them as the jews uh how he's dealt with them and how he has given prophecies about these things so thanks so much, uh, Caleb. That's been very helpful. I think all three topics, uh, science, archaeology, and prophecy, uh, help to remove that doubt. And I think it will help uh, us solidify our own faith um, and also maybe encourage us to share this with others that, you know, hey, this is, this is based on, on reason. This is not blind faith. This is something uh, that we can really prove in many ways that, you know what, the, the creation of uh, of this world and, and the existence of the creator is is a reasonable conclusion to uh, to come to yeah thanks so much Caleb. uh i really appreciate your time awesome Joachim. i thanks for having me on and uh 
it's been great talking about it. It's something I'm pretty passionate about and, and, and really curious about. The Bible uh, is, is written for all of us to enjoy and God's plan and purpose includes you and I. And, and that's the most exciting and uh, fun thing about it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to For Real Life in the WCF Podcast Network. I'm Levi, and I'm a co-host on a show called A Little Faith, where we explore faith breakdowns and buildups with different people who have very powerful stories to tell. We have another show where Tom and Naomi are exploring how we interact in our ecclesial relationships, and it's called From the Platform. It's a very in-depth series that is incredibly helpful for understanding and developing compassion and better listening practices. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or our website, wcfoundation.org podcasts. Lastly, did you know that WCF assists in support and resettlement for dozens of political refugees a year? Please consider supporting our efforts with donating on our website, wcfoundation.org. Have a great week. How can you grow faith throughout your whole life? WCF's Faith Launch Program is designed to help you answer that huge question as you embark on your own life journey. The answer matters because the true measure of our life is faith, learning to set aside our instincts and to trust God and His Son. You develop this faith in the decisions you make, the relationships you form, and the trials you encounter. Faith Launch gives you a set of strong faith-building tools connects you with a network of peers and mentors, and helps you reflect on the best faith plan to help guide you through your journey. Faith Launch starts fall 2020 and is aimed at young adults between the ages of 18 and 35. There is no cost to participate, and to better accommodate your schedule, much of the program will be delivered online. The program wraps up with a final retreat to weave together key learnings and send off participants with fresh faith inspiration. To find out more, visit wcfoundation.org slash faithlaunch.